welcome to episode four of season two from Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. I am your host, Martin, and we will be talking about live action roleplay events and experiences. Uh, throughout the series, we will talk about specific LARPs and also more general topics surrounding LARP. Today, we are looking at LARP costuming. Uh, LARP costuming will look at everything costume related to off the shelf purchase costumes, homemade costumes, and commissioned works. Uh, this also includes things like uh, costuming accessories, as we all know that accessories can help or make or break a costume. Costuming is, of course, a visual element, and as such, it can have an impact on players as well. Uh, I would like to take this moment to again thank Feedspot, which is a blogging site for including From Adventure to Innkeeper as one of the top five LARP podcasts you must follow in 2021. Uh, their list is a good one, and I can recommend all the podcasts on it, with, of course, a major bias toward this one, which came in at number four. Uh, their website is blog.feedspot.com, and the top five list can be found at blog.feedspot.com backslash LARP underscore podcasts backslash. Uh, this show is for both new LARPers through to the seasoned veteran, and we will be implementing a scale to let you know what the main focus of the episode is. Episodes will air every odd month, so January, March, May, July, September, November, and will be approximately one to two hours in length. Every episode is for everyone, but some will focus more on issues which will resonate with one group or another. As such, I mentioned, we have a scale which tells you what the focus of the topics and possibly the depths of some of the various bogs and dungeons will wade into. The scale for this episode is Adventurer, as it's aimed at the general player, both new, experienced, young, and elder. Um, the reason is that, that costuming is for everyone. We, we feel that, that everyone should have the ability to do costuming, which is one of the reasons that we're going to talk about the various types of costuming there are. As this episode covers such a wide variety of topics uh, within LARP, uh, I've arranged to have some guests uh, to help me via Zoom to help discuss what their thoughts on LARP costuming are. Okay, with me today via Zoom, I have Raquel, Casey, and Joseph, who are all from the U.S., so thank you, Raquel, Casey, and Joseph, for joining me today. Um, before we begin an open discussion, let me first ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your involvement with LARP, and I will start with Raquel. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Raquel Skellington. I am a professional model and LARPer. That's right. LARP is my full-time job. I work as a model for some of your favorite companies like Epic Armory, Calamaseal, and uh, Atelier's Nemesis. Uh, I as well uh, do advertisements for actual games. Uh, so I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Casey, you're up next. Hi folks, I'm Casey Hardy. I've been LARPing for almost two decades at this point. I run a great big uh, southern uh, traditional uh, American boffer LARP that's been running since 1997. Uh, we're quite large. We, we usually net 150 plus people a month and we do that uh, eight months out of the year. And so our costuming requirements tend to be unique because of the climate. Uh, and I also do uh, blockbuster LARPs and conventions and anything that will get me into a costume. Excellent. Thank you. And Joseph, you're up last. 
Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Joe Harney, and uh, my experience in LARPing goes back similarly about two decades or so, uh, from uh, early high school games through some boffer LARPing, uh, up until the upcoming uh, Matter of Honor, uh, Honor Harrington LARP that is going to be put on this November uh, by Quest Adventure Gaming, um, as uh, I'm looking forward to being involved in that, as I am also the seventh space lord in charge of the Bureau of Supply for the Royal Manticore Navy, the Honor Harrington Fan Association. Excellent. Uh, welcome on board. Uh, so to ensure that we're all on the same page for the purposes of this conversation, I'm just going to briefly define what specifically we're talking about today. So LARP costuming is any piece of clothing or outfit that you would wear for a LARP. These could be off-the-shelf, homemade, or custom-made. Um, off-the-shelf could be anything from clothes you already own to things you buy from a shop, whereas handmade stuff is, we're defining that as stuff you've made yourself, and custom-made is anything that others have made for you. Um, additionally, it also includes accessories, which make the costume. Uh, this could be detail work, add-ons, hats, shoes, just about anything that makes the costume resonate with the wearer or other uh, LARPers. So now that we're hopefully all on the same page, uh, I will open this up to my guests uh, on Zoom as well so we can begin to dive a little bit deeper into the topic. Um, so I guess my first question to all of you is when you think of LARP costuming um, or convention costuming or anything and anything of that ilk, what, what stands out the most to you? Um... So I've actually, I've been working for 10 years, but I'm 25. So I started as a teenager. Um, and so, you know, being 15 years old and um, not having any money and any money I did get, I had to beg my parents for, um, you know, I found that costuming was a little bit difficult for me, but I found that even at a young age, as long as you have a cohesive look, like thinking about, silhouette and colors that even at a really young age is what mostly stood out to me the people I remembered had very memorable colors or very memorable silhouettes so I was a very artistic teenager and it grew into be what I did as an adult um, and I tried to keep those elements in mind even when I was trying to beg my mom to buy me something off of eBay <laughs> Yeah, and I think I can kind of uh, follow on to that a little bit. To me, you know, the most important aspect of any costume, whether it's LARP or in any kind of other production, is that the costume itself is a visual medium that is telling the mm -hmm. story of whatever uh, character or characters you are attempting to portray. So um, to me, really, that's what differentiates a, a costume from clothes, is that you're a you're going about uh, trying to uh, put together a, a specific look to emulate, or usually emulate a uh, either an existing character from uh, you know popular media, or in the case of a, a LARP, if it's a homemade character that you've come up on your own to kind of uh, visually uh, tell your story. You know, are, is your character a noble and wearing rich? velvets with lots of gold or are they a you know traveling bard and wearing harlequin uh type thing so all of those elements are the you know the visual storytelling aspects which i find to be the most um 
part that stands out the most to me on any LARP costume. For my own part, I definitely agree with both of those. Uh, it depends on what kind of LARP I'm engaging in or whether I'm advising someone else about their costuming. Uh, typically, I find that I let my LARP costumes inform the character. I usually start with a costume and that will tell me something about the character. I usually try to look for a couple of signature elements or pieces, especially if I'm doing a multi-day game that can carry uh, the theme of the character while I change my nasty sweaty clothing out from under it if I need to. Um, and I, I advise a lot of people who are either volunteering at or playing my big boffer LARP. Uh, you know, a lot of them are college students, like Raquel was talking about. They don't have a lot of money. And something to make you feel included in a LARP group can be a set of thematic color elements or, uh, again, one of those signature items that you can layer on to let you feel like you have something to identify your character and place them within the LARP without having to spend all of your energy just thinking about what you look like. So I, I definitely I, I definitely agree to that to an extent, although I, I usually start in the opposite direction, usually with the character um, figuring out what character I'm playing and then figuring out how to put them into the right clothing. Um, having said that, in my own defense, I also tend to choose characters who are very similar. So many of my costume bits can carry over from one to the next, which makes it really convenient. <laughs> but that that may just be a me <laughs> that may just be a me thing. Um, so is one type of costuming, um, and by that, I mean, sort of off the rack handmade or custom made better in your opinion. And, and if so, why? And these are obviously completely opinion questions and, and we can have three different ones. We could wind up with three or four <laughs> that are completely the same. So have at it. Anyway, so my pers my personal feeling about that is again, it really, it really depends on where you are. Um, get left to my own devices i will go ham on a costume i will custom make everything uh if i'm not custom making it i'm going to grab something of some ridiculously expensive material off the rack and customize it to death or buy something vintage and hack it apart and turn it into another piece not everyone has that skill level not everyone has that desire so uh, in situations where i'm either having to travel with something fragile that won't travel well or where i don't really know what's going to be required of me i'll go completely off the rack i will hit a thrift store I'll grab a couple of fancy scarves and a few base elements and put them together. Uh, and if I'm LARPing outside of my own game in the Southeast in you know 90% humidity and 100 degree weather, I am wearing skirts and shirts and things that look vaguely thematic that I can swap out easily because I'm not gonna be able to wear them for more than a couple of hours. So it's, it's definitely highly dependent on the situation for me. Um, I would, I would kind of like, say similar for me as well like you know I've been LARPing for 10 years but five out of 10 have been on a very professional level um and so I you know from the first five years from like 15 to 20 everything I bought was off the rack I never made a costume a day in my life and I bought everything that I could find and I would find stuff from the weirdest places like Amazon or eBay Etsy like at renaissance anything anywhere i could buy thrift stores target and just mush it together um for that was like the five years of my life solidly um but in the previous the most recent five years so from to, you know end of 20 to 25 almost every costume i have is uh custom made uh, because I, I am blessed enough to work with a really talented se seamstress uh, at GG's Dress Up Trunk to help me 
kind of bring all my designs together. I, uh, I'm a designer, not a maker. So I can draw my outfits, but I need somebody else to have the hands to put it together. So that's kind of been um, my, my go-to. Um, personally, I think off the rack and um, even custom, both are wonderful. For me, it's all about the fit. So if the off the rack thing will fit me better, than the custom thing or whatever, or I can't get something custom, I rather just go with whatever fits me best because I find that silhouette is the most important thing when you are trying to visually communicate a lot of things about a character. So um, I'm, I'm kind of either way, it depends on my situation. So it's either off the rack or custom. <laughs> yeah, and I think just to kind of, you know, round it off, I think I'm gonna, make the bold statement of literally saying off the rack is better because it allows more people the opportunity to participate. Um, custom made, uh, handmade, uh, you know, for those people who have those skills and have access or have the resources to pay someone to uh, implement those skills is, is wonderful. And I've seen, you know, amazing pieces of work done, but especially over the last, I'd say the last five years, um, especially in the science fiction community. I've seen the level of costumes that are available uh, off the rack have the quality of them have just exploded exponentially. Um, in fact, I have a couple of vendors where I can get pieces that are under $100 and you'd be hard pressed to uh, distinguish them from something that would be uh, handmade uh, from scratch. And so just the ability to allow more people to enjoy uh, whatever, you know, their LARPing or their uh, cosplay at a convention. I think if I had to use such a subjective word as better, I would say off the rack is better because it, you know, allows more people to participate. I would agree with that too. So I tend to fall in the category of, of off the rack or custom made only because y'all are lucky I can darn socks. <laughs> um, I mean, essentially, that's what it comes down to for me. I, I can't sew worth a damn. So so if, if I'm going to make a homemade piece, I know it's going to look like garbage. Um, yeah. But you I know, have two I have two tailors on retainer. Yeah. One local and one in Southern California. Uh, oh, me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm lucky enough that I've got a, that, that I've got a good job. So I've got good income and I can afford to go to a custom made place. Um, I'm working on. Uh, one, I'll shout out to Timberlake Studios in, in New York. Um, normally, they do a lot of work with Broadway. But last year, of course, you know, there was no Broadway. So I reached out to them and I was uh, looking to have one of those Star Trek monster maroons made from movies two through six. And yeah, it's expensive, but the quality I'm getting is is super, like, really well done, nicely tailored work. And, you know, it's... Yeah meeting all the exacting specifications that I want for stuff like that. It's but, literally stage uh, appropriate because yeah. Yeah. a stage company is making it, right? Right. You know, it's, whereas if we look at another LARP that I did, and actually I think you, you were at this one, Raquel, it was Fairweather Manor. Oh, yes. um, I mean, there, every single thing I wore was off the rack. It was available through, you know, military surplus, you know, companies and, and in some cases, it was available through, you know, the companies that supply the military. And I just ordered what I needed. And, you know, the, yeah. the fits, the fits decent, but it's not like perfect because, you know, I didn't specifically want it to be tailored because I wanted to look period appropriate. And in 1917, you know, officers got stuff 
tailored for the most part, but not everybody did. So, so that was, I, sort of, you know, that one for me. I totally, I'm, I'm with you there with the whole, like, you know, to fit thing. I, I've been mostly off the rack. I mean, heck, even to this day, I still buy off the rack. Not every single thing I get is custom, but really a good fit, like a good tailored fit can make the absolute difference between like something just kind of looking okay on you and looking amazing on you. I would highly recommend all LARPers, you know, if you're getting stuff off the rack, see if you can, you know, try and, and get it tailored to you because it can make a huge difference for how something looks on you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For uh, TRMN, uh, the Bureau of Supply, we work with a company out of Kansas to make our uh, our uniforms for the the characters, and so they come essentially off the rack in you know sizes from 38 to 58. But once they uh, once you get them, if you have them altered to fit, uh, it just dials it up the three or four notches. Um, I have some great before and after photos when I got my uniform from them, where I put it on and it's boxy and doesn't, you know, quite look, you know, super great. And then I uh, went to my tailor and had him uh, uh, alter it, bring it in, let it out a little bit and make some adjustments for my body shape and size. Mm -hmm. And so I think really that can be the that hybrid sweet spot of something off the rack that's affordable enough to then be uh, have the extra customizable alterations put into it. And uh, fortunately, um, the, the sweet spot is when that price is less than having it custom made. Agree. Right. So, all of this brings totally up an, so all of this brings up an interesting question, and it's not one of the questions that I sent you to prep with. Um, and that sadly sometimes oh. happen in, you know, happens in <laughs> interviews. Um, but it brings up the question of does the does the costume to a certain extent make the character in the LARP? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yep, it's it's both an act of considering what the character would choose for themselves, and also putting on the character as you are putting on the costume, or vice versa, <laughs> taking it off. That is your embodiment of what you're role playing, and it can bring you back to true if you've forgotten what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Just looking at yourself, inhabiting that body via inhabiting that costume can be a very important part of the entire experience. So what you're saying is LARPs need more mirrors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it goes right back to, you know, the, the clothes make the person. Um, literally, um, I have the pleasure of performing at the uh, annual uh, Dickens Christmas Fair in, in Daly City, California every year. And I uh, portray a uh, British uh, Royal Naval officer and uh, my tailor, I have a custom made set of uniforms every, every occasion of dress mode available to me. Um, and when I put on that, you know, nine pound wool frock coat and button that sucker up, there's no slouching in that frock coat, so it, <laughs> it, it really uh, is there to inform me of who I am and what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's... So, it does, it does actually lead to a question that I, that I did send you in advance, which is, does LARP costuming then also help make the scene better? Yes. Absolutely. It can make well, or break the entire an entire look. It, it depends. That depends. Well, it can also depend on the game. But if you're going to a you know a, a game that is taking place at a certain time period, and you know that can absolutely make or break 
that scene or you know if you're all if you're supposed to be a group of monsters you know that again can make or break the scene um the look you know especially in games that have factions you know cohesive coloring throughout a faction that's something that's super important that you know players adhere to i mean each game has different costume standards but i find that games that for me personally have a rather uh very distinct requirement not necessarily a high-end requirement but a very clear idea of what they require from each you know faction or each you know character race or whatever honestly can really push even a con larp to a whole other level yeah absolutely and also as you said make or break because there's nothing more infuriating to me personally in a period larp than someone with a modern wristwatch on. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it just kills me. You spent all this money to come to this uh, game and and traveled this far and got a mm-hmm. hotel and all this, and then it's like, just put the put the watch in your pocket, please. Yep. So that- coming from the other side as a as a LARP organizer, I also have to consider that costuming can become an accessibility issue. And everyone needs to be really clear, like Raquel said, about kind of what the requirements are and if the if the involvement level of the costuming is low, you know, if the cost level is meant to be low, what can you do to still make that thematic and accessible to everyone who is playing the game in a Mm -hmm. way that's fun? I have played some of the best LARPs of my life in, you know, a conference room with a box of silly hats, but everyone has a silly hat. Right. You know, the point is to be inclusive with that and to make sure that everybody has access to the same level of resources, as well as uh, setting your level correctly to make sure that it's representing what you need it to. Is it a broad sketch or is it a really detailed anatomical drawing, right? There's there's a way to tune that for every game. No, absolutely. So, so that then, I guess, flows into another question. How important is period versus setting accuracy for you in putting together a costume? And and, and I'm going to give an example right away because it's, it's a great example for me. Um, I was at a LARP um, called Expedition Sahara, which was this awesome LARP that we did in, in the Sahara Desert in Tunisia. And um, there were issues with the LARP which are not related to costuming and, and, and all the fun we had. But, you know, one of the things for me was the fact that, A, we're in the desert, so I have these wonderful glasses on, and I need to be able to see stuff, and sand blowing around gets in my eyes really easily. So I went out and hunted for a pair of goggles that looked as close to period as possible. Obviously, they were made of modern materials, but the upside was I could put a pair of inserts into them that I had my optometrist make so that so that not only did they have the, the, the shade aspect, but I could also see with them. Um, you know, which basically made them replace my glasses for most of the LARP, you know, and and one of the guys in the LARP just got so offended by them because he's like, they're not right for ni- for, for the 1930s. I'm like, D- I'm like, dude, it's, it's a question of me being able to see or me having something that's period accurate. Those yeah. those are the options. And it's one of those things where, you know, I I tried really hard to find stuff that that occurred, you know, that, that was in that period. So I spent a lot of time looking for, you know, what did the foreign legion wear at that time? You know, what were what were the Italian and German and American troops wearing around the, the 1930s, 1940s in the desert? And then cobbling together an outfit that sort of had aspects of all of them in it. And then had these wonderfully modern, I mean, not super modern, but, you know, they, they essentially looked more like ski goggles than anything else. But I could see out of them, which was a huge benefit for me. <laughs> 
So that I, sort of brings up that question. I um I have so this is something I've actually I actually talked about for my senior project in college because um, I went to a visual communications course and I talked about how um, being able to capture the gist of an era versus like 100% accuracy. I have never been in the 100% accuracy group. I think it's uh, honestly, in my experience, especially as a LARPer of color, super gatekeepy. Um, and it's just not a, a kind of thing I believe in as a player. Um, and I think that honestly, no matter the time period, just having a understanding of the undergarments, the structure of what goes underneath, you can make a $20 eBay dress look like a period piece if you just have the right undergarments and so i will tell anybody that you know being 100 percent accurate in period is is really cool it's super great and if you can do that that is that is awesome but i would say about 85 percent of players i've met both here in america and abroad honestly tend to be more of the party of hey just make it look close enough i know um martin brought up you know fairweather manor that was my first period LARP where it took place through at a very specific time. And I knew enough about the structure of the undergarments that I knew what to get to make my silhouette look close enough because the photos of me from that game are, are you know, posted everywhere, but I'm wearing stuff that I bought off of Amazon or AliExpress for, you know, $15, but it looks like a $300 dress because I have the right corset on underneath. So I would say definitely to people, like, just make sure you have something that looks sort of like the time period, very close enough that like, you know, not like a 1950s dress in 1930, you know, but as long as you have those undergarments, I promise you, most things will probably look okay. And, and I do have to say that for that particular LARP, when you came, when you came back, not from that one, but from the previous one, you actually mm -hmm. had made a video about that. Uh, that's yep. up on your YouTube channel. That is amazing. So if you wish to plug your Thank YouTube you. channel, feel free to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys can see all my feelings about that at Raquel Skellington on all my social media platforms. It's something I very much advocate. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm going to just to, oh, go ahead, Casey. I was going to agree with everyone here to say if I'm doing a reenactment, obviously period costuming is very yes. important. If I'm playing a game, I want to play the game. I don't want to feel like I'm being gatekept for the quality of my costuming. However, yep. I'm a treasure hunter. And if I'm playing a game that is set in a particular period, you bet your butt I am going to go on Poshmark or eBay and start hunting for the perfect period accurate piece to make part <laughs> of my costume because that's my favorite part. So I like to have some kind of element that grounds me in that time period, even if the rest of it is off the rack modified, something I made you know, to close enough standards because that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, and I was going to make a kind of a similar point in that is that it all comes down to what the purpose is. You know, I'm a historical reenactor involved in many different periods. So um, going for historical accuracy in and of itself is uh, a broad, almost a red herring because those historical time periods were as varied as modern 
time period. You, 100 years from now, people aren't going to like LARP uh, reenact the COVID era with like, you. well, you can only wear chinos or blue jeans. <laughs> like, that's all we've got. That's all we know from this time period, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then period is also works itself into the setting. So if a setting is period, um, it reminds me of that that quote that Clint Eastwood gave at one point when he was talking on in the Actors Guild about uh, accuracy versus authenticity. Does it feel right yeah. versus is it is it actually right? And so for some for some aspects in some activities, like I'm a member of the 501st, um, when you're doing a screen, when the whole point is to do something that's screen accurate, that's the exercise. So right. that's what you're going for. But if you're like like Casey said, if you're playing the game, you're there to play the game and the, the costume is helping. It's not the point. Yeah. And I, good, good point on the screen accuracy. I don't do 501st, but I do screen accurate Star Trek cosplays. And when I am doing that, I am sourcing the actual fabrics that were used or from the same manufacturers. I'm looking wow. at the screen use patterns. It's, it's an awful lot of effort because that's part of the fun of it. But when I consult with my friends, I, I'm the local... I've got a costume for whatever you need kind of person. And many times they'll come to me feeling uh, out of place because they don't think they're going to be able to get themselves the silhouette and the look. They're already worried about not being able to live up to their own idea of accuracy and they don't know where to start. So getting them into the headspace of saying, here's some elements that will ground you in that and then being able to customize around it to, to represent the vision of what they're viewing as that time period is really helpful to show that you don't have to go you know find an antique Victorian dress and try to fit it to yourself. What mm-hmm. are the components that make this look like it does? Let's find something modern that will give you that same feeling and then you're gonna be way closer to where you wanna be. So I have to say that I spent a lot of time for the Fairweather Manor that I went to trying to put together as let's say as correct a uniform as possible, not necessarily, I mean, accurate because the character never would have existed in his, in his fashion that he, that he existed in. But I mean, I spent so much time going through all of these like military metal companies to find just the right, like accessory that he would have had. Um, I actually found like world war two, uh, world war one, sorry, wings uh, that were us aviator wings that had actually been made for pilots in France um, with the U.S. shield in the center. Um, I found bits of fabric that that uh, were ribbon fabric for a metal that existed back then that has been replaced by a new one now. And then went wow. to a friend of mine who does 3D printing and said, hey, here's the front of this metal. Can you actually make a metal out of this and then mount it on the rest of them so that it looks right? Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of stuff like that, which was a lot of fun to do because it's not the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that, you know, I normally spend a lot of time doing, um, uh, you know, and then the uniform was, was basically bought from companies that do world war one reenacting, um, you know, and just put all that stuff together. And it, it was a lot of fun to do it from that perspective. But I also see the, you know, the screen accurate part of it. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned the patterns because my current seamstress tells me very, very poignantly that the pattern from Roddenberry.com does not work on an actual human being. Interesting. That's true. And we should talk. I have a, I have a book she should buy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she's basically had to tweak the pattern to make it function, um, which is, which is interesting, like, which is interesting, but you know, it, it's like every costumer in the history of Hollywood. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so, 
Um, if a random player were to walk into the closet where you keep your LARP costumes, how many costumes would they find? All right, I couldn't so... walk into my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Same, actually. <laughs> and if you're talking about combining pieces, probably thousands. I mean, they could not get into my closet, but they could try. Well, I did a quick count uh, when I saw the, the question on the, the sheet, and I, I stopped at 38. Um, and again, this is bef these are you know individual pieces before you start the mixing and matching. But I yeah, 30, 38 so separate and unique full costumes. Most of them are science fiction, but all, uh, and then historical. Yeah, I, I actually don't know the number for our closet because it's my wife's and mine combined. Um, what I <laughs> what I do know about it is so we're in the process of building a house. Um, with three bedrooms so we have designated one bedroom's closet as as that is the closet where where all of the costumes are going <laughs> well um i actually uh I, I do have a video of my larp closet uh on my youtube channel but um when my parents i think by the time because i started at 15 so by the time i had turned 17 i was a senior in high school my parents were like all right this is too much it's not fitting in your closet. It's not fitting in the guest room closet. So I am blessed and very lucky that my parents in the basement of my house had a cedar closet. And they were like, move your stuff there because we can't take this anymore. And because of the nature of my job, I've actually had to catalog every single piece I've ever had for LARP, both custom and bought and everything. So at this point in time, as of 2021, I have 781 individual pieces and I have a collective 57 full character costumes. Yeah. Does that, in does that, does that include the armor you had custom made? Cause that was amazing. Yeah. That does include the, the armor that I did have custom made and everything that's been sent to me or things that I bought myself. It's everything. It's a huge list. <laughs> so, so it, it sort of leads to a question of, of, you know, if you're looking at costumings, um, if you've had custom made LARP costumes, what, what, what is your favorite? I think so. Uh, obviously, you know, we've basically had a year off uh, because of the pandemic. So the last uh, costume I formally had made uh, was for a game called Malleus that I was play testing at the time in uh, late 2019. Um, and it's it's a very classic, like Bavarian, German, I, I think it's, I don't know how to say it properly, Drindle? Drindle? Drindle. I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of those. Um, and the, the LARP is, is fantasy. So like we took elements of uh, 1700 like German fashion and a modern like drindle <laughs> and mush them together to make something vaguely reminiscent and giving the look and vibe of the time period while having this like cute Oktoberfest kind of look about it. Uh, I would say that Odette's costume for Malleus is, is currently my favorite. Oh, made by Gigi's dress-up trunk, who's my current partnered seamstress. I don't know if I can just narrow it down to one. 
Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do two because uh, one's kind of a, a have to, and the other one is a, not exactly my LARP one, but I do need I want to use it as a shout out as well. So my my first one is all of my uh, Royal Naval officers' uniforms for that I use at the uh, Dickens Victorian Christmas Fair. So they're uh, 1850s pattern uh, British Royal Navy, and they were all uh, custom made for me by uh, Jeff Schoenberg of AJS Costumes in Burbank, California. Um, he's available and does all kinds of uh, Hollywood productions and plays, as well as Vens at the uh, Dickens Christmas Fair. And so he, my full dress, uh, double-breasted, uh, ten but or well, twenty-button uh, tailcoat that does the full epaulets and hats and everything. It's by far my, I think, the most stunning piece that I own in my uh, collection. And then I think my favorite LARPing one is obviously not obviously, but is going to be my uh, Royal Manticoran full dress uniform. Um, for the, the Honor Harrington's Association, mostly because it adheres to the the rule of science fiction is that all space navies uniforms should be black. You're in space for crying out loud. It should be black. And uh, David, uh, when he designed his uniforms for his book series and uh, the, the main one leaned heavily into that philosophy and uh, created, I think, a really stunning uniform with the black and gold and uh and red and on it so i'm probably the anomaly here in that i have never commissioned a, a larp costume in my life i am my own tailor if i want it i will make it myself <laughs> and it will be perfectly fit and of exactly the quality i want so jealous. Um, however there are some pieces that i have, have obtained that will eventually be used for larps i'm sure because they're just too fabulous not to uh and, and my favorite of those is probably uh, a custom fit uh sheep leather full length coach with fur borders that is kind of thematically styled after uh, a character from a book series uh called uh, Kushiel's Legacy. It's got a big mm. red rose on the back. The lining is blood red. Uh, it's a really striking piece. I, there, there's no LARP character in the world that I can think of that that will be appropriate for yet. But <laughs> maybe someday I will need to give off an air of seductive mystery and also be somewhere that I won't die of heat. And in that case, I will wear that coat. Sounds like a <laughs> nice vampire the masquerade uh, LARP costume in the making. It would yeah. definitely fit with that. Absolutely. It's got corset lacing all down the arms and the back. Wow. It looks very, very vampy. There you go. Sounds beautiful. Um, I mean, I've got I've got two things that have been custom made for me. One of them is my my uniform for the Royal Manticore and Navy, which mine was the first one that, that, well, actually it wasn't. It was the third one that got custom made. There was another group that was just an independent group of costumers who had theirs custom made through the same vendor who did mine. Um, and then I got mine made through through her, and that was an awesome outfit. Um, and then she vanished off the face of the earth. So can't ever find her again, which is what it is. Um, but I do have to say that that the, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the monster room that I'm having made, I'm really happy with Timberlake Studios. They are doing such an awesome job. And they're A, so happy for the business, but B, they think it's such a fun project that they're just having a great time doing it, which is kind of nifty. And, you know, sourcing some of the bits for that uniform are an absolute monumental pain. 
which is which is why I did a lot of the sourcing for them before I before I handed the project off to them. So there's a chain that goes on the inside flap. I sourced that one. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on the sleeve. I sourced most of that. And it's just the tr the trick is just finding it and being patient and finding the right vendor. Um, so yes, I just wanted to add on um, one more thing. You know, I think if if possible, if you're going to get something custom made, I would try and find somebody that is well versed in either you know your body type, body size, you know body shape. You know, I'm very lucky that the person I work with has the, a very similar body shape to mine so when i ask how i want things to be fitted she knows exactly what i need and um i, I could only recommend that uh to others you know if you can if you can at least find somebody who has a lot of experience working with you know your body type or size it, it can make a world of difference no and, I, and, that, and that's definitely true and i've discovered that really well with timberlake studios because you know they're they've already made changes based on based on my body shape and they're like, well, this is what we did for, you know, for this Broadway play. We did it for this guy. So therefore, we're, we're going to do the same thing for you. And I'm like, at the end of the day, as long Perfect. as it fits, I'm happy. Yep. Same. <laughs> so. It was a really interesting tangential story from that. But uh, Jeff Schoenberg had uh, put together a workshop for one time to do some fitting and measurements for a class for some uh, reenactors for the Dickens Fair. And he used myself and another uh, gentleman and took all of our measurements and uh, finished that out. And he turned to everyone and he's like, Joe and this other gentleman have the exact same measurements. And then he turned us around and said, look at them. They do not have the same body shape or type. Mm. So yes, uh, they're, you know, if custom work and bespoke tailoring uh, carries a heavy price tag, but with it comes a level of expertise and understanding um, that I wish I had in how to turn two-dimensional pieces of fabric into three-dimensional awesomeness. Yes. I, I've never been able to figure out how to do that. So I'm glad that that's still a skill that's available. I'm, I, I, I am so willing to share the fact that I pay obscene amounts for, for custom-made stuff. <laughs> to add on to that, as someone on the other side of the custom-making, occasionally I'm coaxed into taking commissions. Um, currently, I'm working on a Ferengi costume for someone in Scotland. I will never meet this guy in person. He gave me his measurements. Pretty sure he knew what he was doing. But in building this costume, I have spent a lot of time thinking about how people's sizes have varied over the course of the pandemic and mm. what he what situations he may be coming into as he's wearing this costume in different conventions or at different games that he might be playing and i've built in elements that should make it more versatile to be adjusted if he's playing somewhere cold i've got it so that it can expand in the chest so we can wear more clothing under it you know i've i've constructed it so that he can put it on himself with all of the zippers and can cinch and uncinch you know various undergarments to adjust the size and if you're doing that especially for a long running larp you're going to be playing in different environments. Your body type may change over the years, especially if you want to wear it for a long time. So thinking about those things as you're requesting custom work can be useful to say, you know, is there anything you could do to make this easier to adjust in case I put on or lose a couple of pounds, right? It's, it's a thing. And that could mean layers of clothing if you're in the Southeast in the winter, very different than the Southeast in the summer. I still want to wear my same costume pieces. Well, I, in fact, I use it as a kind of reverse psychology thing. I'm like, I've got a closet full of thousands of dollars of costumes, so I can't put on any more weight. <laughs> I kind of same. 
I must be. It's funny. Every time I get on the in August, every time I get on the scale and I'm like, okay, I got to get back down to my my Dickens fair weight. So I fit into all my uniforms by uh, by Thanksgiving. And then it's, bro- a- it's broccoli and, and chicken for the next <laughs> three months. Being a model, it's, it's very, it's very, very similar. Uh, I, except I have a personal trainer who gets very mad. <laughs> so, so I have to sheepishly admit, apparently, that, that I lost weight during the pandemic, and I'm not really sure how that happened because I spent ninety percent of my time on the couch. Stress that'll do it. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of stress because I was working for the entire. It's pandemic. not eating out. It, well, is what's done it for yeah, me. Yeah, probably. I, it. it I'm not sure because I, I still think that we probably ordered out as much as we did before. And I just not not sure why. But the funny thing is, so I do a lot of volunteer work for auxiliary groups, both the Air Force and the Coast Guard. And I notice I've lost weight when I try to put the pants on. Because I, I, I now need to cinch that belt a lot tighter than I used to. I'm actually kind of in the same boat. <laughs> so I may actually I may actually have to take those pants in to get them tailored a little bit more specifically than they are. Um, but when you think of costumes, you know, one of the things that a lot of people also think about then is accessories. Um, so are there any that specifically stand out for you that have used that, that you've used in a LARP and, and why do they stand out? What makes them special? Okay. So rewind the clock like 10 years all right as far as i know i was the first to commission a act of photorealistic latex frying pan um i commissioned it from these guys in the uk i had to find their website by by going through 40 google pages and i it was my mom's christmas present to me um and that was for my very first character named Alicia. And to this day, nobody has forgotten me wheeling that freaking pan ever. And I think a really cool weapon or like unconventional weapon, that's kind of like my thing now. I love finding unconventional weapons to fight with at LARP, whether it be a loaf of bread, uh, a pot, a pan. I love it. Um, I would find, I would say like, either a very distinct weapon or a bag or something that people know if you left it anywhere it's yours uh, i also did a similar thing with a lantern and i it was a lantern i just like bought off the internet i don't know where but you know it was the only one that i that that looked the way it did because i painted it and so everybody knew it was mine it didn't matter where it was, which event, everybody knew it was mine. So finding a way to make something yours or get something that's so out there and strange, I feel can be a great statement piece. So my top three, number one, and I managed to use this in more than one LARP somehow, was a pair of strap-on Healy skates, usually meant for kids. (laughs) You strap them onto your shoes and then you've got wheelies. And I, I used that at several LARPs and uh, the looks that you get when you are scooting around on concrete, suddenly floating, and people don't understand what's happening with your feet are excellent. Said something about that character. Number two, played a wizard LARP. The wizard was basically uh, David Bowie plus Doctor Who. And the wand that I made for that, I hid a flashlight in the end of it. I never used the flashlight. I was waiting for a chance to whip it out. But just knowing that that was in there for me to surprise someone with kind of made me feel like I had a secret. Uh, I was very attached to that wand. 
and number three uh, was a larve that I played in a cave, actually. We were all prisoners. Uh, and the one possession that my character had was a deck of silver playing cards. I used that for fortune telling. I used it for gambling. I used it to psychologically manipulate other people. It was a really versatile piece that I could just carry in my pocket. Um, and, and each one of those said something about the character to me and gave me something to fiddle with uh, and was also easily identifiable as being something that belonged to that character. Like Raquel was saying, no one else was going to mistake that for anybody else's junk. So it was very helpful. Yeah, well, and maybe I'll be a little more esoteric in my answer, but whenever I think of uh, costuming accessory pieces, I'm thinking about what it's telling, the story mm. part it's telling about the character. Um, my main Boffer LARP character that I had played for almost 10 years was an elf, so everything was, you know, uh, flowing and, you know, elven and uh, floral and vines, and then, of course, the one of the magic item circlets I had um, had to have an amethyst in, set in it because his color scheme was uh, black and purple. So it, either, it was either onyx or amethyst. So it didn't have much of a choice in, in that matter. But yeah, it's all it's the elements that are, uh, you know, um, telling. And actually, one of the coolest things I ended up uh, doing is uh, uh, having a wizard staff where I found this really uh, interesting uh, wood grain printed fabric that I was used to able to cover the uh, the the boffer larp of the staff with so it actually looked like a wooden staff which uh, was a neat neat little touch um, and uh, ended up ended up selling a getting a bunch of that fabric and giving it away to players at the uh, at the game who wanted to make bows and and other staves out of it so it, you know enhanced the uh the, the visual storytelling that was involved. I think that two, two of my favorite accessories, um, one of them carried over to two games, which is one of the reasons I like it. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love like all the wands I've acquired for all the wizard LARPs I've played. They're, they're just amazing. Um, especially some of the ones that were, were, you know, made by these really awesome companies that are out there. But my two favorite ones actually wind up being the binoculars that I had for Fairweather Manor. Because they were win they, they were vintage World War One binoculars from the U.S. Signal Corps, um, and you can tell that a by the the case that they came in, and they had the little etching on the glass. So when you look through it, you actually get the rangefinder that they used for sighting in the uh, for sighting in the big cannons. Um, so those were kind of cool, and I I managed to bring those with me also to Expedition Sahara. Um, but the 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 other one that sort of falls in that same that same bucket was the camera that I brought to Expedition Sahara because um, I spent a lot of time back a lot of time researching what kind of cameras I wanted to bring and it turns out that the camera that I managed to get my hands on was a camera that was used by again the Army Signal Corps at the D-Day landings so I had a camera that was used wow. at D-Day <laughs> out in Expedition Sahara and it still works. It's a, wow. it's a little bit finicky and, and the, the pictures are a little bit grainy. Um, some of them came out really well. Some of them were not quite as good because you know, the, the, the F stop measurement on it no longer functions. So, so <laughs> setting that, you know, correctly for Sahara was a bit tricky. Um, but I just think that, that 
they fit so well with the characters I was playing that it it was it made perfect sense. Yes, of course, you're the you're, you're the commander of the military expedition. You've got these old binoculars that you've carried with you since World War One, you know, or you've got this camera that that had like you know just come out like two years earlier that you probably picked up when you were when you were in you know Tunis or when you were in Paris last, and. It, it, they just sort of felt like they fit so well with with the character that it was it was just fun to use them. And always a costume needs a good hat. Yes, that's the best <laughs> accessory out there. Is Aside, I say I say it's a good wig, <laughs> a good weave, or a good wig. <laughs> well, that's like that's like pre hat. So yeah, pre hat head, 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 headgear. Let's go. <laughs> let's broaden it out to headgear. I like that. Right. Yeah, my, my, my headgear shelf is actually starting to accumulate quite a bit of headgear. So, Same. Yeah. Um, Need a separate closet for the headgear. <laughs> look, if I keep adding uniforms at this rate, yeah, I'm going to need a separate closet for the headgear. Uh, so this brings us to our last question, because we're slowly running down on time here, which is, what is next for each of you in LARP? So 2021 will be, for, for my own LARP, carefully and safely figuring out how to run it again. Fortunately, we're mostly outside. We're one of those big games that runs out at a state park, so we can we can conduct that in a safe fashion. But after a year and a half, uh, you know, LARPs like ours tend to be very complicated, and most people have probably forgotten most of the rules. So we're going to be remembering how to be, other, be around other humans again, uh, and how to role play again, and how to separate ourselves from our characters. And then 2022 will be actually going to new LARPs again. Uh, I'm very excited. I got a couple of high costuming ones that I'm planning on some LARP, LARP conventions. Uh, so all of the costumes that I've spent the past year and a half collecting may actually get to see the light of day. Nice. Excellent. Well, so I kind of spoiled the question in my, my intro leading, but my uh, next LARPing activity is going to be the uh, Matter of Honor LARP that is set in the Honor Harrington uh, universe that is being put on by Quest Adventure Gaming in conjunction with the Royal Manticoran Navy, who Martin is the primary plot GM for. Um, so we've been uh, putting our heads together with that. That's going to be in, uh, in November, and it's going to be set on the, the retired Navy destroyer, the USS Edson, out of... Uh, Michigan. Um, so it's a on location in a Navy ship. So that's going to be really awesome. Um, I've signed up for a command uh, level role. So I'm going to be one of the three uh, lead uh, players in the, the LARP. So I'm super excited to uh, see this. And fortunately, I have all the costuming already. So <laughs> I, all I have to do is uh, pay for the plane ticket to get there. Uh, so for me, I actually, this past weekend, went to Damarong LARP, which was a vaccinated-only event in which they did do card checks, so everybody was verified. Um, it was incredible, and um, my next LARP is a week and a half from now, and it's Malleus LARP, which is, again, another application-only, vaccination-only LARP. Um, and I'm my schedule is slowly filling up. Uh, with games all the way through this fall into next year. So I, I'm very happy to see LARP return. I'm very excited to, you know, get people aware of all the LARPs that are doing this safely, doing it smart. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to, you know, of course, always encourage, you know, my mostly POC fan base to get involved, get out there. The time is now. LARP is coming back and 
get into it. I hope to see you out there. Uh, so for myself, for my listeners that have heard me for the other four episodes this year mentioning the LARPs I'm going to do, you know I'm doing a matter of honor because I'm one of the people that's going to be behind the scenes on that. Uh, what has changed is I am no longer doing uh, Triumph. We have canceled our tickets to Triumph, uh, mainly because it's it's a post-apocalyptic LARP, and my wife and I kind of felt, you know what? We spent the last year and a half kind of living a post-apocalyptic LARP. So let's go do something fun instead. So instead, we're not doing a LARP, but we're sailing around Iceland on a tall ship for, for 10 days, which is going to be wow. so amazing. And it's right over our anniversary, which is going to just be super cool. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, I think it's been an excellent discussion, and I'd love to continue this for hours, but unfortunately, our time is coming to a close. So I would like to thank Raquel, Casey, and... Um, and Joe for joining us today. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of From Adventure to Innkeeper, a podcast for all LARPers. Uh, this episode will release in July, and our next episode will release in uh, September, and will be the fifth episode of the season, and we're going to be looking at um, LARPing in a post-COVID world. Uh, and that topic will cover LARP from both a player and organizer perspective and share thoughts on how LARP has changed um, since COVID has has come through and made all of these fun little tweaks, such as, you know, requiring vaccinations. Um, I would again like to thank our guests for joining me uh, live on the show. Uh, I'm your host, Martin, and thank you for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Mal Books. Uh, additionally, we'd like to thank uh, Lex Media for the use of their Fred Rothmel Memorial Podcast Studio. And I would again like to thank Feedspot for our inclusion on the top five podcasts you must follow in 2021 for LARP. Uh, be sure to check out their links on our website, adventurertoinkeeper.com. 